Well, Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be in a few moments. But first, again, let me remind you that uh, this year has been a journey through this theme, Christ at the Center. And I've just recognized as we have journeyed through this theme that uh, that's not just a given because you are born again. We came into this world with us at the center. That is our default setting. And it doesn't matter how hard we, uh, we try in our own strength. We can't change that. We've got to have an encounter with Christ. We've got to have uh, his love really poured out to us and, and uh, receiving that love to be able to understand that uh, it's all about him. It's not about me. And making that exchange we've talked about last couple of Sundays. Colossians 1.18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. All things means everything. Nothing is exempt from that statement. And it's our prayer that God would help us in this journey to live out this exchanged life, my life, me at the center, for him at the center, and allow God to have first place. We're in Hebrews as we're going to look at this uh, subject of looking unto Jesus. We looked at the matter of exchanging our life for his previously, and now we need to continue to look to him to live his life through us, looking unto Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. Pause there for a moment. I did fail to mention uh, there is no junior church across the hall, but if kids do want to go out to the Bible club down in the fellowship hall, they're welcome to do that at this time. Back to chapter 12, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And have ye forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as, chil as unto children? My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Then the passage continues on dealing with the matter of chastening, not a subject that we like to talk about, but it's very necessary. And I'll say more about that as we're not going to speak much on that subject, but I do want to touch on it. But as he moves through this passage, we're going to pick it up in verse 12 again. After you come through the chastening, after you come through the trials, after you come through God's discipleship method, which varies for each one of us, he instructs us in verse 12, Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed." Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, he, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears." This whole passage starts with an admonition to look to Jesus, and then it continues to tell us what happens if you don't. We've got to keep our gaze on Jesus Christ. There are two key words found in this passage. Look and lest. Not lust. That's another word we could preach about, but lest is the other word. 
Look to Jesus lest this. Look to Jesus lest, and it goes on, and I'll just give you uh, the four points this morning, and we're only going to hit the first one this morning. The next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up the next three. We're going to see that we must be in this race that we call life, looking unto Jesus lest we faint in our mind, become weary. We need to look unto Jesus in this race that we call life lest we fail of God's grace. God's grace never fails, but we can fail God's grace. We can fail to access it. We'll talk about that next week, Lord willing. Also next week, you need to look. We need to look to Jesus last we fester in bitterness. That was the last couple of verses there. We need to keep looking to Jesus lest we fall further into sin. It starts with bitterness, and then as Esau did, he fell into fornication and became a profane person. And really his whole life was thrown off course. This morning we'll just be seeing that first one. We need to look to Jesus lest we faint in our mind. Why is it so important where we're looking? Well, as one person said, look where you're going because you'll inevitably go where you're looking. It's kind of a, kind of a reality. And this is why so many police officers die every year uh, on the side of the road, talking through the window, giving a ticket or whatever else they do, Christmas gifts, stuff like that, you know. <laughs> whatever they do on the side of the road, you know, a lot of those guys get clipped. I looked it up in preparation for this sermon. One-sixth of all uh, accidental police fatalities happen by getting clipped. Well, how does that happen? You're looking over here, and without even realizing it, you start drifting where you're looking. Uh, same thing with accidents in work zones. You know, it's interesting. I, I looked it up. 5,000 accidents take place in work zones in Michigan every year. That's just Michigan. 5,000 work zone accidents. And think of the irony of it. Everyone's going 25 miles an hour or 40 miles an hour. There's lights flashing everywhere. Signs, slow down, slow down, and merge, and all of this stuff. Like, normally we drive with no flashing lights, no extra signage. Uh, you know, we're going 75, 80 miles an hour, but here you've got all this stuff. You've got flaggers flagging which way to go, and we still kill people. How? Because there's so much to look at. Look at that guy. Look at that big machine. Da -dum, you know, boom, hit somebody. And uh, he said, well, how, how does this happen? Because we, we go, we drift where we are looking. When we stop to consider our life and what we're bumping into and the accidental off-roading adventures that we get on, we have to ask ourselves, where are we looking? Well, somebody says, I, I, I don't know where I'm going. Wait a minute. You need to go back and listen to last week's message. Thomas said the same thing. Lord, I don't know where you're going, and I don't know the way. I don't know how to get there. And Jesus said, you do know where I'm going, and you do know the way. What? Yes. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. You don't need to know what's down the road. You need to know Jesus. He is the road. He is the way. You need to look to him. Look to Jesus and you will be going in the right direction. Look where you're going. You'll inevitably go where you're looking. I don't know if any of you have been watching the series called The Chosen. I know that some people hate it. Some people love it. And I don't mean to be divisive this morning. If you don't want to watch The Chosen, that is totally fine. But my wife and I, we watched last night the final episode of, of season three. Spoiler alert. No, actually, there are no spoiler alerts if you read your Bible. Okay. Peter walks on water. Now, I've always known that Peter walks on water. And I've, my imagination, you know, I, I've just do the whole Peter walk on water thing. It was neat to watch it recreated on the screen. I don't know why, it just, it just really hit me. Now they add a few things to it, they have some subplots and so forth, I'm kinda like, ah, whatever. 
But it was, it was cool to see Jesus walking on water toward them, and the boat is about to capsize, and Peter says, bid me to come unto thee. And he steps out, and all the disciples, no, Peter, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. And he goes out, and he's walking on water. They did a tremendous job filming that. I have no idea how they did it. The special effects crew was amazing. He walks on water until what happens? The thunder cracks and the lightning and the waves start to raise and the wind is blowing and Jesus is saying, look at me, look at me. And you can see Peter start to go, whoa, wait a minute. And he says, Lord, I'm sinking, I'm sinking. And he starts going up to his waist and then all of a sudden, whoosh, he's gone, underwater. I could relate to every bit of that, but I've never walked on water. I'm, 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 I'm seeing God supernaturally sustain me. I'm seeing God beckon to me and hold me and, 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 and infuse his life into me. We're seeing miracles. We're seeing great things. And all of a sudden, the waves and the wind and the thunder and the lightning and everything gets cold. And now I can't quite see him anymore in the shadows. Everything's spinning. Everything's spinning. And now I'm sinking. And all of a sudden, I'm underwater. They did a great job filming it. You see this hand come through the water, and it's Jesus' hand. He grabs a hold of Peter, and up he goes. And I loved how they ended it with Peter just clutching onto Jesus and saying, don't let me go. Don't let me go. I can relate to that too. You know, it was actually simple as long as he kept his eyes on Jesus. But when he took his eyes off Jesus, he was a goner. And so it is for you and I. Hebrews 12 teaches us the importance of looking to Jesus always. The Lord Jesus is not trying to train you so that you can do it on your own one day. Jesus Christ is not training wheels. And one day it's, look, Mom, no wheels. And look, Mom, no hands. And look, Mom, no Jesus. That's not the, the disciples' road. The disciples' road really was how they portrayed in that movie. I know that, that, that this was extra at the end, but Peter just clutching onto Jesus saying, don't let me go, don't go, let me go. That's not in the scriptures, but it, it, it made a, a, a good point in the movie. Peter just saying, I can't do this on my own. I don't want to do it on my own. And that's the heart change that we all need. I keep defaulting back to I want to do it on my own and God takes us through our own Hebrews 12. And it's painful and it's tough, but at the end of the journey, we need to recognize I can't do it on my own and I don't want to do it on my own. I just want to keep looking to Jesus. We must keep our eyes fastened on him. Well, the, our first point this morning is simple. I already gave you the four. We'll just do the first one this morning. We need to be looking unto Jesus lest we faint in our minds. Look to Jesus lest you faint in your mind. The passage again says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the, and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus. Now that is the key to this whole thing. We get, we get all caught up in the great cloud of witnesses. I want to make all them guys proud. No, that's not what that's about. I want to lay aside every weight. I want to lay aside every sin. That's all good. Need to do that. I want to run with patience. Yes, I will make it. None of that in verse 1 can happen without the first phrase from verse 2. Looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And I want to say right now, that little phrase, the author and finisher of our faith, is to me one of the most encouraging phrases in the whole Bible. He authored my salvation, and he will finish my salvation. And if I had to author it, I'd never be able to come close I can't take away my sin. 
I can't change my life. I've tried. If I had to uh, hold on to my salvation by my own effort and, and I, somehow I have to make sure I hit this finish line. No, I'm just the one running. He's the one giving me the strength. He's the one giving me everything I need to get me across that finish line. He is the author, and he is the finisher of my race. I'm encouraged by that because there's no way I'd finish on my own. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus helps us to recognize that there is joy through hardship when you have the big picture. He knew what he was doing. He knew where he was going, and he knew why. And because of that, there was joy. For consider him. That's the same idea as look. Look unto him. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sins against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your, in your minds. Well, let's focus this morning. There's an imperative that we saw, or some imperatives. In that first verse, we need to lay aside the weight and the sin. We need to lean in to this race and run with patience, all the while looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Yes, God expects us to take these admonitions seriously. But you can't do it without him. Many of us in this race, the race of life, we make it harder than it has to be by taking so much stuff with us. We're not just running a race with Pilgrim's Progress's backpack on our back. You guys familiar with Pilgrim's Progress, this huge backpack full of stuff? Some of us folks, we got a U-Haul that we're strapped to. We're like uh, Brian Shaw from the Iron, uh, not Iron Man, World's Strongest Men. Have you seen that where they hooked him up to a harness and he pulled a semi with a, tra with a, with a whole trailer attached to it? I don't know how those guys do it, but there he is, Brian Shaw, bearing down like an ox, pulling that thing. That's like some of us in our Christian life. We've got so much baggage, so many things we won't release to the Lord, so many expectations, so many hurts, so many wounds, so much clutter, so many material things, so many aspirations. I want to do this. I want to accomplish that. I can't let go of this. I can't let go of that. You folks, what the problem with many of us is we are Christian hoarders. We just accumulate all this stuff and we feel like we have to have this stuff and, and we're afraid of letting some of it go. What will happen if I let this go? What will happen? You just might run faster. My kids, I think everybody's kid has a little hoarder in them somewhere. Samuel just winced. Here we go. Now, uh, no, my kids aren't hoarders, but I think every kid has some hoarder in them somewhere. And so my wife and I, we actually have sat down with our kids and forced them to watch hoarders. <laughs> just a couple episodes is all it takes. I think we only did two, two episodes. And the kids were like throwing stuff away, throwing it all away. No, all this stuff. You know, when I, when those two, I think it was just two episodes. We watched two episodes of that, and I'm like, the psychological twisting that happens in, in folks' mind, where they have to have this stuff. And so if you've ever seen, boy, how did I get so much TV in my sermon this morning? I have no idea. <laughs> the Chosen and Hoarders, and I don't know what all, who knows what's next, but... They have the counselor that comes in. The counselor says, hey, I'm going to help you to learn to let go. And while the counselor's doing his thing, the cleaning crew is doing their thing. They have all these people doing, doing what they do to help this person. But, oh, the attachment, the emotion, the psychology that goes invo that's involved well, has to do with our depraved heart and what we do for security. Where we look to have our fears calm. God says, I haven't called you to be a hoarder. I've called you to lay up treasures in heaven, and I've, I've called you to run in this race light. 
Run light. One of the best ways, by the way, to run light is to be a generous giver. Bless those around you. Further the cause of Christ. Be faithful. Be a channel, not a reservoir. A channel that God can flow through. He'll just continue to give you the water as you keep pouring it out. Are you willing to lay aside the weight? It could be material things. It could be emotional things. It could be wounds. It could be sins. I've got to have this sin. I can't live without it. Nothing else can satisfy me like this sin. Folks, you know that sin doesn't satisfy. It's only Jesus Christ who satisfies. We've got to humble ourselves and come to him, repent of that sin, give it to him, and say, Lord, fix my eyes on you. Lay aside the weight and the, ra- and the sin. Lean into your race with patience. What do I mean by that? It's an endurance race. Expect this to take some time. Some of us are so hard on ourselves. We want things to change now. We want our family to change now. Our kids need to change now. No, it's a race. God wants you to run with patience the whole time looking unto Jesus why? Because the whole time you're, you're involved in everything you're doing, you're saying, Lord, I'm looking to you to author this. I'm looking to you to continue this. I'm looking to you to finish this. Give me what I need for every day. Considering his joy as he suffered for you helps you to find joy as you embrace the suffering that God has, has, has given to you. Considering what he did, enduring the cross, despising the shame, and sitting down on the right hand of the throne of God, all of that shows that we're on the winning side. The victory has been purchased. It is finished. The battle's won. We just got to keep running and don't stop looking to Jesus. Look to Jesus lest you faint in your mind. We have these imperatives, but then we have an alternative. There is an alternative lest, lest you grow weary. Lest you grow weary. There's a quote I found. uh, If people would reflect that one can only do one thing at a time, there'd be less fatigue in the world. Many of us are trying to do so many things. And I say, oh, you have to multitask. Yes, we multitask, but we still should be multitasking one direction. You can't multitask 50 directions. When we talked about that wagon wheel last week and Christ being the hub and the spokes coming out of that, that uh, all of those spokes can't just be disjointed spokes. They all need to be coming out of the same hub with the same stuff for the same purpose so you can go the same direction. One hub, multiple spokes, one direction, one person to please. One job to finish, one race to run. Some of us folks, we're not running a race, we're chasing chickens. And we did that this morning at our house. We have 12 new chicks that are like, they're not like chicks anymore, they're about seven or eight weeks old. They're like the rebellious teenager chick stage. Oh. And one of them got out of the coop and it's muddy and messy, and, and my wife is chasing chickens and Samuels, holding the thing, and, and I'm over there, dressed like this, saying, do this, no, move that, ah, you know, anyway. The Christian life sometimes feels like that, and we're, we're chasing chickens. No, 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 no. God said, look to me, we're going this way. I want you to get in the groove. I want you to run with patience. Everything needs to come in the same Direction. Life seems complicated, but Paul said it so simply. For me to live is Christ. What does that mean, though, preacher? I mean, everything he does is just pray, 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 pray. That's all he does. No. He did everything that you do, all the normal stuff, but everything was going one direction. Everything was in, with one person in mind. And as I mentioned, there would be less fatigue in the world. Many of us are so fatigued. We have so many people to please, so many directions that we're going, and we're missing out on that focused, that focused living. 
Look unto Jesus, lest you faint in your mind. Someone said, attention is the key to life. Whatever you really give your attention to, you become. Whatever you really concentrate on uh, grows in your life. Uh, we grow into the thing that fills our thoughts, as inevitably as one stream merges into the ocean. We give ourselves to worry, we become a worrier. We give ourselves to angry thoughts, we become a bitter person. We give ourselves to everyone else's demands and expectations and, and don't let God channel these things into his will for us. We become frustrated and burnt out. I'm not saying that you can become anything you put your mind to. That's not a, the power of positive thinking this morning. But where we do let our mind dwell is where we will grow, what we will grow into and in the direction that we will go. Bitter thoughts, bitter person. Hopeless thoughts, hopeless person. Always thinking about, woe is me, woe is me, then you're, you'll be a victimized person. But if you think about faith and have faith-infused thoughts, you can be a faith-filled person, a person of faith. And you can go one direction, or you can chase chickens. A life with multiple focuses is a weary, tired life. Looking unto Jesus, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Lay aside the weights. Lay aside the sin. Uh, uh, run with patience. So many of us, we're not patient. We want things now. God is not just concerned about the destination he is as concerned with the journey. I don't know if you've ever run a race, like a real race, but I ran the Chicago 5K down at Navy Pier, and I ran too fast. I took somebody else's uh, pace. And I'm telling you what, I was sucking wind after the second kilometer. I had three more kilometers to go, and I am just probably, I don't know what my heart rate was. It had to be redlining. Why was I running so fast? This guy next to me is running and talking. Talking to me. I'm like, I could punch you right now, but I don't have the strength. How can you run this fast and talk? And you know, after a while, he figured I was bored. I was boring. And he's like, oh, nice talking to you and then just takes off as though I was standing still, just gone. And I'm just dying. You know what, folks? You can't take somebody else's pace. You can't run somebody else's race. And I remember at that time, I just wanted to be done. I started picturing the finish line, what, what it must look like, you know. Let's just get there. But I still had three kilometers to run. I did have a couple of things that helped motivate me. This little old lady ran right by me. So that, that helped give me a, a boost from somewhere for a little bit. And then a, a, a young mom, uh, she went chugging by me. You know, and uh, I, eventually I crossed that finish line. But I'll tell you, it wasn't just about the finish line. It's about how we get there. For many of us, we're not willing to run with patience this race. He says, lest you grow weary, but he also says, lest you faint in your mind. Lest you faint in your mind. Look at that verse. Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. You know, that tells me that this battle that we're in is not so much physical as it is spiritual and mental. Everything is connected Everything's connected. The physical, you need to take care of the physical because everything else will break down. If you don't take care of the physical, I've learned that. But I'll tell you, we've got to win in our mind. Proverbs 23, 7, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. 2 Corinthians 10, 5 tells us that we should be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Again, I've heard people scoff at this and say, oh, come on. I mean, he can't mean every thought. Am I just supposed to be thinking about Jesus all the time? I love Jesus. I love Jesus. I love... No, that's not what he said. Bring the thought into obedience to Christ. Every thought needs to be 
complicit with, with his word. Obedient thoughts. And cast down the imaginations that lift themselves up. Bringing to captivity each thought. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. God does believe we have control over the direction of our mind. And I don't know about you, but I'll just go ahead and, and, and uh, say, admit, there have been times where I wondered if I really had control over my thoughts. There have been times where I've been like, uh, no. This is a runaway freight train. It left the tracks a long time ago. I don't know how you stop this thing, but I can't be in control of this. I can't stop this train from making this loop or whatever. And yet the Bible says... I'm commanding you to take control of these things. God would never command us to do that which is impossible for us to do. So what I've learned is this. When I've got runaway freight train thoughts or thoughts, uh, a train that's stuck in the wrong track and I can't switch the track, the track is stuck, the switcher. And it's just going in the same loop. Gonna drive me insane. What I realize is I have to take this bit by bit. I'm not going to beat that in one moment or one day or one night. We're going to just start thinking biblical thoughts. I'm going to start co uh, correcting this thought every time. You have to switch that track 20 times a day, 20 times a minute, whatever it takes. But you just continue to be vigilant, purposeful in your thoughts. And I have found in time, remember, it's a patient race. In time, you're off of that loop. And a lot of times, you don't even realize when it happened. Just one day, you're like, wait, 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 wait. My thoughts. I broke out. I'm no longer obsessing over this, this worry. I'm over, no longer plagued by this fear. I broke free. How did I break free? Over time of putting in to, to practice God's commands in your mind and taking him at his word. Thinking the right things. Thinking about what is true. Identifying with what is true and rejecting what is false. We need to reclaim our mind and we need to reclaim our speech. Sometimes we speak things into existence that should not be there. When you say it enough, your mind believes it. The Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We've got to be careful what we think about and be careful what we, we verbalize. And therefore only say, Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh or is becoming to the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Speak the truth. Even if your mind doesn't believe it, you continue to speak. I am a child of God. I am loved of God. I am called of God. I am equipped for this mission. His grace is sufficient for me. There is nothing that I cannot do that he has willed me to do. Repeat over and over identity statements, promises. And eventually, you can convince yourself over time, but it's not just you convincing you, it's the Spirit of God taking His Word to convince you. Take it by faith over feeling. Some of us, we are, we're fainting in our mind. We've taken our eyes off of Him, our eyes are on the storms, and our mind is going crazy with all the possibilities, all the uncertainties. Get your eyes back on Him and let your mind be in Christ and his mind be in you. So much is won or lost in the mind. So much weariness is a, is a result of a splintered focus. So much drift is due to the direction of our gaze. We just slightly get off and then we drift. So much falsehood is spoken into existence through our mouths. That's why the psalmist said, Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You be careful what you let out the door of your mouth. You may have a thought that shouldn't be there, but don't give it words. 
Don't let someone else be plagued by that thought. Hurting your children, hurting your spouse, hurting your neighbors. You keep that thought and cast it down. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring it into captivity according to the obedience of Christ. Look to Jesus lest you faint in your mind. This word lest. Look and lest. It's all the way through this passage. As we continue in Hebrews 12, he moves into what Jesus went through enduring the cross and the shame and so forth. And he, he contrasts, he says, you guys haven't gone through this. Ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. And then in verse 5, And have ye forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children? My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked for, of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And now he gets into chastening. Look to me, look to me, look to me. Lay aside the weight, run with patience, get rid of the sin. Look to the Alpha and Omega, the author and finisher. Lest you get weary and your mind breaks down, but lest, what else? Lest you become disheartened and turned out of the way. He's about to get into the trials and the suffering and the chastening that we deal with. And that can be very, very disheartening for us and it can keep us stalled in our race. I want us to look at this word chastening. Let's define chastening. The word chastening appears four times in Hebrews 12 and two times in the rest of the New Testament. In order to help us see what this word means, it's helpful to see the other two instances. So 1 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. For what? For doctrine, for approof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Which word is the Greek word for chastening? It's the word instruction in righteousness. Now that might surprise you. Maybe you thought, like me, it was going to be reproof or correction, but it's instruction in righteousness. Interesting. Let's go to Ephesians 6.4. This is the second time. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That idea of the nurture and admonition, we're talking about the chastening. It's the same word. So when we look at this word chastening in Hebrews 12, I think sometimes we look at it and we think it's just speaking of God's spiritual spankings. We did something bad, and he comes after us with the rod. But I want you to see it's broader than that. It certainly, certainly includes God's spiritual spankings. But it's more than that. I would say it is this, and this is not me. I mean, I, I did the word study. The word has to do with the entirety of a child's upbringing including instructing, educating, nurturing, and, dis and, and disciplining the child. Well, that's helpful to me because I think we can get a little bit more out of Hebrews 12 with that context. Sometimes people go to Hebrews 12 and they, they obsess over what did I do wrong and how is this working and uh, when is God going to be done beating me up in life, you know? Uh, no, 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 God is your father, you're his child, and he is bringing you up in the nurture and admonition that you need. He is bringing you on the path of instruction in righteousness. He is going to give you everything you need on that path. Teaching, correction, reproof, instruction, and a spiritual spanking now and again when you need it. You know, this world can, is pretty much going crazy. This world has basically said you can't spank anymore. Well, I don't know. God still spanks me. I don't know about you guys. Uh, you, you know, God invented all of this. He knows how to do it. And he, in Hebrews 12, compares himself with a father. 
And no chastening for the present is joyous, the Bible says, but afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of repentance. And therefore we see that, that yes, there's a disciplinary action to, side of this, but it's not just discipline. It's the whole of the Father's loving nurture and care for his children. If your focus becomes consumed with the chastening or the discipline part, you'll lose sight of the Lord in it and you might lose heart and faint. Don't spend your energies on, why is this happening to me? Where did I go wrong? What did I do wrong? How did I get here? Sometimes we can learn from how we got here and that'll help us not to make the same mistakes going forward. But there are other times where you just obsess over the past and you don't get any answers, and nobody has any answers for you. You have no answers for yourself, and you need to stop asking those questions. Embrace where you're at. Get your eyes on the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, where do we go from here? Help me take the next step from here. We, we obsess with, am I in sin, and, and is, 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 is God angry with me? Folks, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If you're in sin, his holiness will reveal it. You're going to see what you need to repent of. You're going to, uh, he's going to show you those things. Don't spend your, ish, your, your energies trying to end the situation and fix the situation. Spend your time surrendering to him in the situation. In the chastening, submitting to his will and drawing near to the Savior, Savior letting patience have her perfect work recognizing that God is not trying to hurt you. He is trying to help you. He's trying to heal you. Some of us, when God chastens us, when God takes us through trials and he's nurturing us and disciplining us and correcting us and reproving us and instructing us and all that he does in this thing, this biblical idea of chastening, some of us, we do become weary. What was the verse? Verse 12. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Do you know what some of us do when God comes after us? I shouldn't say it that way. When God does what parents do to us, okay? When God parents us, some of us do like uh, my little three-year-old. And we just become Gumby. You ever see a kid do that? You're like, okay, you need to do this and this and this right now, young lady. You know, down on the floor like a, like a puddle of goop. You try to pick him up and you can't. And like the, the kid is falling through your fingers, you know. You can't even hold on to the thing, the kid. And, and oh, well, what is that? Well, it's a fit. It's selfishness. It's, you know, it's not good. There have been times my wife and I will say, straighten up right now. Stand up on your two feet or it's about to get worse. It's amazing how that puddle of goop can find bones again. And all of a sudden, you know, still not happy about it, but they're standing there looking at you. That's what Jesus just said to us. We're in the trial, we're in the chastening, and we're just like, I can't do it anymore, and we just melt into a puddle of boneless goop. And God says, stand up right now. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down, strengthen those feeble knees, young lady, young man. Make straight the paths for your feet, because we're going somewhere, and we're not done yet. And I'm not hurting you. I'm going to help you, and we're going to move through this, but there's a big lest here that we've got we've to consider. If you don't do this, you're going to be turned out of the way. Don't be turned away, friend. Look at what he says. Make straight the paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way but rather let it be healed. Wow. Do you realize what God just said? You and I are wounded, we are hurting, and we are lame. And God is using the trials and the chastening and everything else we're doing on this race called life. And he is 
bring us through it. But if you go into a puddle of flesh on the floor and roll around and wallow, you can't run that way. And you have to be turned out of the way. Because we have to go this way, and there's others who have to come behind you, and i got to lead them forward. And if you won't come, well, I, then, then, then be turned aside, please. I don't want you to be turned aside. I don't want you to be turned out of the way. I'd rather you be healed. That's what he says. Lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. How? By looking to Jesus. Change your body language. Lift your chin up. Look to Jesus and recognize he's not killing me. This won't last forever. He's got a purpose in this. He knows what he's doing. He doesn't have to do it my way. Look to Jesus and focus your direction on where your feet are going. Make straight paths for your feet. I'm going this way. Sometimes we, we do this. I'm following you, Lord. No, I'm following. I'll, I'll be right there. You know? No. No, put your body in the direction of the Lord. And in doing so, you will be healed. That word lest. Lest what? Look to Jesus, lest you miss, you miss the healing. Look to Jesus, lest you remain lame. Look to Jesus, lest you be turned out of the way. What way? God's way, not your way. His will, his plan, his purpose. It's his life. If you insist in the chasing and in the trial upon being a victim and thinking the victimized thoughts and the woe is me thoughts and it always happens to me and never happens to anybody else and God is not fair and I don't, I don't have strength for this and nobody should have to go through what I'm going through. If you, can, if you just insist upon licking your wounds instead of saying, thank you, Lord, help me to find joy in this like you found joy in going to the cross a few verses before. You know, God may just let you stay there for a while. I'm not saying he'll leave you there forever, but you may be turned out of the way for two years. You may be turned out of the way for 20 years. You may be turned out of the way for who knows how long Staying there, wallowing in your own blood, licking your wounds, and reaching out to all the other people on the race. Hey, come over here. Come over here. I want to, I want to tell you my story, and let's lick wounds together. You look like you're hurting. I'm hurting. Come over here. You're running too hard. Come sit. Let's sit a while. Let's, let's just kind of talk about how bitter we are and how much God hates us and how much life is not fair. You see, what you wanted is you wanted God to heal your problems. But God wanted to heal you. And that's the difference. God is not your servant to do what you want him to do for your kids. He's not your servant to do what you bid him to do for your husband or your, or your, or your wife or your boss. He is most importantly concerned with you and your journey. He doesn't want to just solve your problems. He wants to solve you. Look to Jesus, friend, lest you be weary and faint in your mind. Look to Jesus, lest you miss your healing. Look to Jesus, lest you remain lame, lest you be turned out of the way. I'll tell you, that gets me, gets my attention. I don't want to miss anything God's doing. And to think that I could be sidelined, turned out of the way. I've been working on Barber now for so long, and he just won't let go of his self-centered focus. He just won't let me take him down this journey. I'm going to have to turn him aside out of the way for a time and let him just wallow until he comes to the end of himself and wants his soul to be healed. I don't want that to be the case. I want to be right there with Jesus. Look to Jesus, lest you faint in your mind, lest you become disheartened in the trials and turned out of the way. I want to say, friends, don't miss your healing. 
God's most concerned about what he's doing in your life. Don't miss it. Look to Jesus. Talk of Jesus. Sing of Jesus. Look for him in everything. Look for him everywhere. If you cannot see Jesus, then at least look for something he's doing and give him the glory for it. Thank him for it. Let this mind be in you. Who is at the center? Who is at the hub of your life? Next week, we'll continue through this, looking into Jesus. Lest you fail the grace of God. Looking into Jesus, lest you fester in your bitterness. Looking into Jesus, lest you fall further into sin. Lord, help us to keep looking unto you. Help us, Lord, to see you as the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before us, despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the, of the, of the, of the throne on high. Lord, we, we do get weary. Our minds do faint. But we thank you that you are the way. You are the truth. You are the life. We can look to you. Help us to do it. With heads bowed as the piano plays, would you take a moment to respond to God? Let's stand together reverently as you stand. Or you can stay seated if you want to pray. Or come to the front if you'd like to pray. Take a moment, though, to do business with God and cast your eyes back on him. Resting, resting in the joy.